Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America, Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about freeing doctors to treat with COVID-19. Congressman Chip Roy joins me to talk about coronavirus policy and the liberal media is warming up. Dump Biden, draft Michelle, and of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Welcome again to my show, America Can We Talk, and to today's First Five. You know, we've been talking about doctors in this country. We had uh, Dr. Robin Armstrong join us a few weeks ago talking about his success in using a particular drug, a a previously approved by the FDA drug for the treatment of malaria called hydroxychloroquine, and that he used it successfully in his practice in Houston. I want to dedicate the first five just to the great determination of doctors in this country to persist in trying to find ways to help patients suffering from COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus. There was a new consortium of doctors came together. It's called the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Consortium. It's a consortium of, of American doctors who are basically saying, look, we're, we're in novel territory here. We've got this crisis on our hands. Let's share information about what we find works. So they actually wrote out lengthy protocols related to the use of coronavirus-19. They talked about, uh, I mean, I'm not going to delve into the medical details, but they basically talked about why patients with COVID-19 are struggling, what the specific problem is, what the reasons are some medications work, and they're basically urging other doctors to be part of this ongoing conversation in this consortium about the things they have found that work. There there was a um, a study that showed that uh, hydroxychloroquine, U.S. doctors claim that uh, hydroxychloroquine worked in 91% of coronavirus cases. The, The American physicians and surgeons wrote a letter to the Arizona governor, Doug Ducey, basically urging, urging wider use of hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19. And they claim that data based on 2,333 coronavirus patients revealed the drug helped 91% of the patients recover. Uh, similar things around the world, other doctors reporting hydroxychloroquine rated most effective therapy uh, in a global survey. I am not a doctor or a medical person, and I don't have any investment in hydroxychloroquine. I just want to commend the spirit of doctors in this country trying to find solutions and trying to talk to each other. And I also want to say that with respect to hydroxychloroquine, I think it is a true shame, a just political outrage that part of what seems to be happening is because President Trump said something good about hydroxychloroquine, that must mean to some people that therefore it must be condemned or maligned or questioned. In fact, shortly after President Trump urged, he said he heard good things about hydroxychloroquine, you had the NIH uh, come out with some alleged studies saying, well, it could be side effects, we don't know. And numerous cases where you've had doctors Fauci and Burks raise questions about it and, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm not a doctor, but I do think that this is time in this crisis time. It's a time to be trustful of and grateful for doctors trying to find answers and not necessarily so deferential to the NIH and to doctors Fauci and Burks in their condemnation of it and their apparent kind of holding out for the vaccine, which may not 
ever happen. First of all, there may never be a vaccine. There may not be a vaccine that works very well, and there may not be a vaccine for two or three years. So I commend these doctors and their efforts to try to bring recovery to COVID-19 patients and, and very disappointed in all the political, seemingly politically motivated decisions to ridicule that, that uh, drug when the doctors actually using it are saying they find it to be very effective. And that, my friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned at the start of the show, we have joining us Congressman Chip Roy. He's a member of the U.S. Congress in the great state of Texas, represents CD21. He's been on the show before. Um, he is, if those of you I think probably recognize his name, he's had many important positions uh, in this in the state of Texas and in Washington. In Washington, D.C., he's a clear leader among conservatives, even though it's his first term. Uh, he'd be in the short list of anyone's list of conservative leaders in Congress. Um, he's a very hardworking guy. He's an attorney by background. He's worked uh, in, in Texas for the uh, Texas Attorney General. He's worked uh, for the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which was one of my uh, go-to institutions to get rock-solid information, data uh, on questions of great import. So he's got a, a great background as a lawyer and as a, a policy person, and now he's in Washington, and so grateful he was able to join us. Say hello, Congressman Chip Roy. Debbie, thanks for having me on. I hope you're staying healthy and well, and uh, glad to be a part of the show as always. Glad to have you. And yes, we are. Um, we're just great and kind of chomping at the bit to get out is how, where we are. But anyway, what I wanted to turn and talk with you about is, uh, first of all, there is uh, much discussion about the idea that we got around to where we are with coronavirus 19, COVID-19 coronavirus, because of the uh, great concern about its danger and the infection rate and lethality and all of that. But as we rolled along, and now we here in the beginning of May of 2020, there are voices talking about there should be experts of other kinds beyond just medical experts weighing in on policymaking going forward with respect to how we handle the threat from coronavirus, economists, other people. I know your office has been a leader in that effort. So I want to ask you, what kinds of experts should also views what kind of um, topics should be considered as we move forward with coronavirus policy beside medical risk? Well, it's an important question. I mean, going back since the beginning of this, when we were seeing a lot of shutdowns occur, particularly at state and local levels, but also rhetorically coming out of Washington, you know, I wrote a piece in National Review saying we needed a date certain for our economy in order to let capital uh, build towards uh, a time when we'd all be back to, to work. And now we're seeing the consequences now of an open-ended, unending shutdown where we've got 30 million unemployed. That number is going to go up this week. We're uh, seeing massive devastation on Main Street and on small businesses. And importantly, we're doing all this based on initial uh, projections, initial modeling that isn't necessarily bearing out to be true. And in fact, what we're seeing are numbers that are wildly different than the initial uh, numbers of, you know, million people dying in the United States and so forth. Now, let me be perfectly clear. Neither you nor I uh, are, uh, you know, uh, ignoring the, the clear problems with 65,000, 70,000, whatever numbers growing uh, dead Americans and those that are suffering as a result of it. And our friends in New York are getting absolutely pounded. But that being said, we need to look across the United States. We need to make rational decisions to answer your question. We need people in the room with the president and with governors across the, the, the country focusing in on questions like what are the second and third order impacts of complete shutdown? What are we doing for people's health and well-being with respect to cancer screenings? What woman today 
is going to wake up and find out she's got stage three or four breast cancer instead of stage one if she would have been get, get, getting a screening through two or three or four weeks ago. What are we seeing in terms of crime increasing because we're letting criminals out or we're uh, you know, now in a situation where people are economically suffering? These are the kinds of questions when you're talking about a shutdown of our entire United States economy that needs to be a factor in the decision making both for the president as well as frankly governors and local uh, leaders uh, in cities, for example, in your hometown of Dallas, where the county judge, frankly, is clamping down, in my opinion, overly aggressively. In uh, uh, I said commissioner, but you know, the, but the the leadership there is cl clamping down on businesses like hair uh, salons and uh, stopping people from being able to go out and do their work. So I think we need to have a complete review of all of this. I love that. And I meant to mention for our listeners, the article that uh, Congressman Roy mentioned a moment ago, Americans Need a Date Certain. I meant to mention that when we started, uh, when I was introducing you, it was published actually back. So you were very prescient, Congressman Roy, because it was published March 20th. And if you go to our website, americancanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links, you will see that article linked there. It was very early on recognizing we had a crisis and we have to deal with it, but we need to have some sense, ability to plan, ability to know when are we going to get back to normal. So it's called Americans Need a Date Certain. Well, I also want to commend your office has come up with something which I love, and it's called, the overall efforts called Let America Open. And among the many things, I, it's just, I want to first of all urge our listeners to go see that website, Let America Open, I think it's .com. Let, yeah, letamericaopen.com. But it really lists out, it's the most data-filled, fabulous website because it lays out for people all of the other potential impacts on we, uh, on America as a whole, flowing from, stemming from the shutdown, not just did we, the number of lives we may or may not have saved, which is relevant, of course, but the number of people who are under threat because of the uh, growing substance abuse, domestic violence, suicide, and so what is it you this uh, this website is really extraordinary because I think it's a, a gathering place for people to who are concerned about this shutdown to go and say, look at all the data that's been gathered. So talk about this effort. Let America open. Yeah, that's you described it very well. I don't need to add too much other than the goal here was to take a lot of the things that have been flying around about this and misinformation. And some people are listening to certain people and what but we need to have a better effort to be able to say, hey. What's actually happening? And everybody, because because it's not just whether or not, you know, uh, government gets out of the way. We also need to make sure people have the competence to go back. They need to understand the data. And so we wanted to put in one place the ability for people to see that. We wanted to have social media and start putting it out and under the banner, let America open, because frankly, the people ought to be able to decide. That's what we do best in the United States. People can vote with their feet. If you walk into a restaurant and you think it's clean and they're doing a great job and you know, they're wearing masks or they're wearing gloves and they're doing everything to make you feel comfortable, you're going to go back. I've already done that. I went to a restaurant Friday morning as soon as they were open in Austin, Texas. We're on the yeah. front page of the paper, one in a million. And it was great. And, and they were so grateful, so grateful that we were there. Last night, some friends and I, we went to another restaurant in South Austin. Same thing. And they're working. They've got styrofoam cups and they're doing all this stuff to try to, you know, minimize, uh, you know, the impact or potential spread of the virus. I felt comfortable there. The American people need to know that and see that. Let us vote with our feet. So we're wanting to put out information to get people comfortable and also to put pressure. I'm going to be honest with you. Put pressure on Congress, on the president, on governors, on local officials in particular to stop getting in the way of the American people. Enough. We don't need any 
Timbot little, you know, petty tyrants and your local, uh, you know, county commissioners or your local mayors getting in the way of the American people carrying out their business, being able to decide for themselves whether to cut their hair or get their hair cut, decide for themselves whether to serve food or or to be served. And uh, we need to stop what we're seeing where you're clamping down on people on public beaches. But that's insanity, <laughs> right? Sun is being said to and heat kills the virus. Vitamin D is good for us generally, and it's good to fight the virus. And I got to give credit where it's due. I never thought I would do this. Bill Maher had the rant of rants three days ago, basically saying, hey, guys, you know, for you know, thousands of years, we've been fighting microbes and fighting bacteria and fighting viruses. We win this with our strong immune systems, not by shutting down and crying in the corner. I don't often agree with Bill Maher, but he happened to be right on this one, minus a few expletives, as he might be prone to do. Well, I agree. Actually, I've heard more than a few conservatives saying, wow, every once in a while, Bill Maher kind of hits it out of the park. And most times he says things you're just thinking, what is he thinking? But I agree. It's a wonderful thing. On your project, Let America Open, I urge people to go because the other reason I think uh, that we are having a hard time in this country, there's so much fear built up based on data about the disease and so that seems to block out reason in some people's thinking about all the other consequences. But when you lay out this data that is, I mentioned before, domestic, uh, child, domestic and child abuse, crime, cancer, as you say, people not getting tested as they normally in the normal course, heart disease. There were stories, there was a doctor talking recently about someone having uh, symptoms of a heart attack and afraid to go to the hospital, either because he thought he wouldn't get to get in or because he thought I might catch coronavirus. And so, I mean, suffering a heart attack at home. And so we just, the fear has to be dissipated and people encouraged to, we have to have a whole of America approach in responding to this, I guess I'm trying to say. You know, the example you just raised, I talked, I don't wanna keep privacy here to where it was, but I talked to a healthcare provider who described to me the situation of a woman who was going through uh, chest pains and called in and they said, look, we need to send you know, EMS, we need to come check you out and take you in. And she didn't wanna do it because she'd been led to believe that she'd be at high risk of going into the hospital and dealing with the, with the uh, potential virus. Now, let's keep in mind that first of all, uh, in many cases, particularly in uh, say the rural parts of the hill country that I represent, for example, Kerr County has had uh, five cases in 50,000 residents. Uh, Bandera County has had six cases. I mean, I can go around the horn, but the numbers are relatively small, a few hundred basically in most of the hill country I represent. And people in the hospitals are set up to deal with it. And look, let me be clear. We did a good job and the right thing to pause for a week or two to get our hospitals situated, to get PPE lined up, you know, and get ourselves ready to be able to deal with the virus. But now the, the curve flattening which, which was designed to get our healthcare system up in order, now has turned into a multi-month shutdown where we literally, I mean, Debbie, say it out loud, 30 million unemployed Americans over the last, whatever, six weeks, 30 million. Compare that to the number of jobs gained since the 2008 and nine financial crisis. We've had about 22 million jobs gained during that window. We've lost more jobs in the oh. last six weeks than we gained in the last decade. Now, I'm a believer, just so people stay positive, that we can have a V-bounce, that we can come back, that the fundamentals of the economy in February were strong and they will be strong again. But look, Debbie, un unless we take the reins of our economy and our lives, get back in the saddle and get going and go buy food and go buy stuff and go to the stores and do so uh, positively and optimistically, our economy is going to stay shut down and, and people will get harmed.
through the data you just alluded to, suicides, opioid addiction, heart disease, uh, cancer screenings because they can't get to doctors, but also just the stress of economic devastation. We got to get back in the saddle now. Amen to that. I want to turn and talk to you, though. There has been, as you well know, as a member of Congress, Congressman Chip Roy, there have been bills in Congress that have passed and signed by the president that are, you know, there was some concern we have to have because the government shut down the economy and people can't go to work because of the shutdown. People thought we needed some bridge funding, something to help people, but it's become extraordinarily expensive. We had the most recent bill was $2.2 We have other ones coming down the pipeline. Are you concerned that we are, number one, building dependency, and number two, we are simply kind of funding the state's ability to keep people home, to choose the course of keeping people home because there's no consequence to the state. They said, don't worry, folks, we're going to keep you shut down, but don't worry, Uncle Sam's going to bail us out. Does that concern you? Very much so. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, that is a, a moral hazard is allowing local and state politicians to make decisions to shut down the economy in the name of public health and to stop people from carrying out their livelihoods and then go to the federal government for the federal government to bail out not only the private citizens that they're clamping down from being able to do their work, but also ask to be bailed out for the state and local tax revenues that they're losing, say hotel taxes, sales taxes. And this is a, a serious moral hazard problem. Now keep in mind, state and local governments raise about $1.6 trillion a year last year, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, from tax revenue. We've already, federal government has already allocated $161 billion for state and local government, which is 10% of their total haul uh, annually. And now they're already back begging for more and Speaker Pelosi and others are saying, oh, we gotta give it to them. Now look, do I have some local governments that are hurting because tax revenues, hotel revenues are getting hurt? <clears throat> Absolutely, San Antonio is a big tourist city. Austin is a big tourist city. Conventions, mm -hmm. they're getting hammered. But we've got to have a review of spending. we got to look at the $3 trillion we've allocated, do an audit, review it, check it, make sure that we know how those dollars are being spent before we spend another <laughs> single dollar, not one more dollar. We need to make sure that we're not going to spend another dollar for any jurisdictions that are currently locking down the ability of people to go engage in commerce. That's my view. We need to set the rules and the parameters. You're going to be open. You're going to spend your money wisely. We're going to go through an audit and make sure that we know that you've gotten these federal dollars. And by the way, we need to put some checks in place for future federal, future federal spending so that we don't keep racking up more debt and deficits. We need to put caps in place now. I'm not interested in any more of these, you know, throwing dollars to the wind. Now, I voted for the bill last week because I didn't think it was fair to look at almost a million businesses who are left out of the PPP program able to go get dollars yeah. through the system. And these businesses were getting crushed almost through a government taking like eminent domain because government yeah. was saying you can't be open. So I held my nose to support those bills. Very tough for me to do, but do it because of these businesses who are getting absolutely crippled. But, but enough. We need to do our job. We need to review the spending at hand and we need to get business back to work and get people producing wealth like we always do in America. Love that. I meant to comment also about your point a moment ago. I love the idea. It's a it's a kind of basic American tenant of trusting the individual to live 
and make decisions for themselves. That is not a message you're hearing much out of Washington or frankly out of the states. There, there's kind of a, it's the opposite message. You people can't be trusted to figure things out. So we're gonna right. resolve things for you. And that's unhealthy for America, for Texas, especially. We we are, all people, we think, we always think we're kind of the leaders of liberty and the leaders of self-reliance. We gotta get back to that. Okay, two of the things I wanna hit very quickly. One is you introduced in Congress, uh, the Beat China Act. And is it? Yep. And basically, it's about the idea we need to have America reduces dependency on China. Can you say a couple words about that? Sure, real quick. That bill is designed to make sure we bring drug manufacturers back to the United States. Too many of them have been going offshore, particularly to China. China produces a huge percentage, 97% of our antibiotics or the materials that go into making it come through China. Uh, we, they've already threatened us with some of their withholding of uh, PPE and, and, and some of our pharmaceuticals. We need to bring those, that, a lot of that manufacturing back to our shores, our territories, and our, and our good friends. So this bill would reduce, it would increase tax incentives. It would reduce and, and drop the depreciation amount down. It would allow them to take a one-year deal uh, in the first year, all of which would help move these pharmaceutical companies back to the United States. We should do that as one step of many to, to reduce our dependence on China. Love that. Uh, this is, I know you we were about out of time we committed, but I do one other quick question. There was a, a story that I was reading. I could not believe it was actually happening in America, but it relates to because of the threat of coronavirus and officials trying to prevent the spread, churchgoers in, a, in Kansas City were being ordered by Kansas City um, to the Kansas City official, Missouri officials requiring churches to submit a list of, of members um, and attendees along with their names, addresses, and telephone numbers to city officials for tracking and surveillance purposes. Much talk about tracking, tracing Americans to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Is any of that justified? At the end of the day, no. I mean, if you're doing some basic level, uh, you know, tracing and asking people, hey, where have you been? We want to make sure people, you know, are, 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 you know, exposed or if they were exposed, they know it. You know, that's reasonable for local governments to try to figure that out and help share that information. But what we're seeing right now is a massive expansion of the police state and of the power of government all back on the back of the fear people have of this virus. We don't want to do that. We want to protect civil liberties. We want to protect people's right to go to church. We want to reduce our reliance on China. And oh, by the way, we want to eliminate the regulations that we now see weren't necessary. I introduced legislation to end those that have already been uh, terminated by this president and, uh, and, and suspend those. Why do we want to bring those back? So there's a lot of things we can do out of this, but protecting civil liberties is one of the most important. So this is why one of the other reasons why we started, uh, you know, make sure that we uh, do the right thing to uh, get America open and let America open.com. Love it. Congressman Chiproy, I so appreciate you had time to talk today. Thank you so much for joining me on America Can We Talk? Thanks, Debbie. God bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much. Friends, that is a great congressman in the great state of Texas. You can find more about him. I really do want you to go to see the letamericaopen.com website full of data. You're going to love having Congressman Chip Roy, just a, just a great stalwart patriot and defender of freedom. So I'm so glad he could join us today. That was just great. Last topic for today I want to hit very quickly. And this is just, it doesn't exactly fall in the category of I told you so, but it's getting close. Okay. So I have said all along, it just seems impossible to me that the Democrat Party is going to let Joe Biden actually become their nominee for president. 
they've got to find a way somewhere along the path to get them out of there. Well, one thing happened today. There was an op-ed, or a couple of days ago, an op-ed on the New York Times, um, in which they're saying that, it's, and, and for the op-ed to be printed, this had to be New York Times editorial board agreeing to print this, an op-ed a couple of days ago saying, uh, time to consider dumping Biden. That's the name of the op-ed, time to consider dumping Biden. And the argument right now in this particular column was just, you know, this is an unsolvable, horrible problem he has with respect to this allegation of sexual assault. Everyone on the left can see they own the problem. They created the problem of the Me Too, believe the woman, every woman must be believed mindset that they claim they stood for in the Kavanaugh hearing. And now they have Biden, which is, of course, an allegation by a woman who is much, uh, has much more validity to it by just external factors. I mean, the woman told people at the time she worked for him. So she was on his political side. Recognize she worked in his Senate office. Senators and members of Congress hire people who share their political views. This is not like a Republican woman making a claim against Democrat Biden. This is a Democrat staffer who came forward at the time, told people, we played the clip on the show, her mother called into Larry King in the same, roughly in the same time period, talking about her daughter's problem. So, so this is making the Democrat Party nervous, not just because this Tara Reid is raising a valid claim and most people on the left are trying to stick their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 I'm not going to listen to you. But it's also because Joe Biden continues to make presentations and comments that have that are so disjointed, confused. He, he seems to be failing mentally with some form of dementia. And I'm sorry, I don't wish on anyone on the planet Earth. I wish they could cure dementia and Alzheimer's and all those other things. But the guy doesn't have his mental act together and everyone can see it. And so he gave a speech recently in which he was talking about the 600,000 deaths from coronavirus in America today. I mean, he has a bunch of just crazy things he said. So um, anyway, um, the point of this segment is I think the left is waking up to and kind of tuning into the reality. We've got to move Biden along. So this is the first little, you know, public shot published and an opinion piece in the New York Times. Uh, secondly, the FEC announced the Federal Election Commission announced that an actual committee has filed committee to draft Michelle Obama for vice president. That's the name of the FC, and that's what they do. They form committees, and it's an exploratory thing, but committee to draft Michelle Obama for vice president. Let me tell you, folks, it is possible that the people who put that committee together did so without Michelle Obama's knowledge or without her agreement, but I don't think so. She's the one person of all of the people in our country. As we move into the fall elections, November 2020 elections, we have President Trump obviously up for re-election and, you know, very popular with his base, still very popular, even in the middle of this coronavirus crisis. But Michelle Obama is the biggest threat the left has. They don't see Biden as a threat at all. They're not, they don't, they don't believe Biden could beat Trump, you know, in any set of circumstances. But Michelle Obama being floated, now they're just calling for vice president, but it is, again, a, a more serious trial balloon by leftists. I would guess, my friends, they would not have filed this 
without her agreement, even though she didn't necessarily have to be part of it. She didn't have to give her agreement. They're still allowed to do that. Customarily, political parties on both sides, you don't file those things unless you talk to the candidate and the candidate's kind of on board. So the left is kind of figuring out they got a big, big problem coming up this fall. And so they're thinking about how they're going to squirm their way out of it and get someone else into the nomination. Folks, we I love talking with you every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Love talking with you about the issues of the day, the stories that matter. And I'll tell you before I turn to talking about why it matters to you, I do this show out of pure love of this precious country, love of the ideas that formed America. And Texas, where I'm blessed to live, Texas is a place that just usually exudes with, just just explodes with this love of America, love of liberty, love of freedom, you know, belief in the individual man, belief in self-reliance of the individual, belief in the rights of the individual, live in freedom. This is a, you know, the, the American ideas live uh, proudly and loudly in Texas. And so I, I've lived here for almost 20 years now. Um, just, you know, I'm not a native Texan, I'm a native New Yorker, but uh, love this state, love our commitment to freedom. And I do this show to speak up about the extraordinary idea of liberty upon which America was founded and the job every generation has, every generation of patriots has to preserve this country, to call out the challenges we face, not just to solve with policy resolutions, but to solve our issues and challenges while holding on to the precious idea of liberty and the rights of the individuals to live in freedom upon which this precious country was based. That's why I do this show. That's why I talk to you all the time about every issue we talk about. I try to tie it back to the idea of holding on to America because it really is the most extraordinary and unique experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. Now I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. We start out today, we start today's show, uh, we're talking about freeing uh, doctors <clears throat> to treat COVID-19. Practicing U.S. physicians formed a critical care consortium to publish facts on COVID-19 treatment results, protocols, examples. They're, they're working together to try to help doctors, a way to communicate about it. One study said 91% improvement rate, 91% among treated patients, but Dr. Fauci and others are slow rolling, insisting on controlled trials before broader endorsement and availability. The controlled trials is a big um, sticking point with the doctors wanting to use hydroxychloroquine more often is because they have they have opposition from Fauci, et cetera, who want to have controlled trials. This is another place for trust in American freedom, freedom to innovate, experiment, compete for efficacious treatment. There is a place for government quality and truth in advertising standards, but not for blocking remedies on any other basis. Dr. Fauci was not elected by the American people. Dr. Fauci was given too much power and control from the beginning. On Congressman Chip Roy's extraordinary leadership, He's just a, again, Texas CD21, great, great guy. The Beat China Bill, American Common Sense, stop depending on China for pharmaceuticals, incentivize all manufacturing to stay in the U.S., block stimulus funding for lockdown states, encourage reopening as soon as possible. Pandemic policymakers must broaden participation beyond the medical industry, the economy, national security, mental health, natural uh, national culture, all of that matters. And again, his thing, his uh, project he has uh, talked about today and I want you to go list, look at is um, letamericaopen.com, a, just a 
fabulous resource of information for you to turn to. Uh, is also, we talk with uh, Congressman Roy, torpedo any state initiative to demand church registries as part of track and trace. The First Amendment must not be abused. And finally, we talked about today, the liberal media is warming up to the idea they must dump Biden draft Michelle. And I'm, I'm folks and telling you it is coming. New York Times has stepped in with an op-ed demanding Democrats develop plan B. Message, time to get ready to dump Biden. FEC notes a filing of a committee to draft Michelle Obama for VP. Almost certainly filed with Michelle's knowledge or consent or both. Biden is not mentally well. Democrats have no choice but to replace him. With whom, when, and how are there only questions remaining? Expect movement in this area soon before the Democrat convention. Biden appears to be deteriorating rapidly. And I'm very sorry to say that last part. I don't, I'm very sad about anyone going through this kind of decline. And um, it's not celebrating that that is happening to him. It's simply the reality anyone can gather if you pay attention to the kind of comments he makes. Folks, in closing out this show, I want to tell you again, I love talking with you every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. I have a great newsletter. comes out once a week. You can go to my website, americacanwetalk.org. Click on the subscribe button on the homepage, and you will get a once-a-week newsletter from me. comes out on Fridays, in which I link to the stories and interviews of the week. I have plenty of people who write to me and say they can't listen to the show during the week. They don't have time or they can't do it from work, but they use the newsletter to see the stories of the week. They, it's a great way to share the show with your friends. Share the newsletter. You're welcome to forward it. There's no charge for it. If you forward it to your friends, it helps this show grow. I want to thank also, I'm, are, I'm very happy to tell you that we we're getting, starting to get a few more donations to this show. The show is entirely funded by sponsors, by donors, by people like you who enjoy the show. So if you enjoy the show, you enjoy the information you're learning, feel free to donate. I would so appreciate it. Again, on our homepage, americacanwetalk.org. Click the donate button. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Literally the show for all the years that's been on air has been supported by donors. And I would love your support in keeping the show going. I just love the opportunity to speak with you every day about preserving this extraordinary country. Last thing, you can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I try to respond. If people ask questions or suggest topics, I try to respond. I, I love hearing from listeners. I feel like the show is our ongoing political conversation. Love doing it. Love talking with you every day about preserving this extraordinary, precious country, America. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak up for America's greatness. I do this show because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear